25 years old. I work here at the church, and I was kind of thinking the other day, um, back on my childhood and realizing how much I've changed in so many good ways, um, but also there's some ways that I've changed that I kind of miss. You kind of miss being, um, being a child again, being young, um, not having like the weight of the world on your shoulders, right? And uh, I was thinking back to uh, when I was like probably 10 or 11, I just wanted to be a farmer. That's like all I wanted, which if you know me now, like that's <laughs> it's very weird um, and you would never guess it, but I just wanted to be a farmer. And let me just paint a picture of my dream life for you. My dream life was that I was gonna live in the country, far, far away from like any civilization. I, I hated people at this time also, <laughs> which is really strange that I'm becoming a pastor. Um, but I hated people at this time, and so I wanted to just be as far away from people as I could. And so I was gonna live on a farm in like an alcove of trees so that no one could find us, and I was gonna have a family there, um, and I was gonna be married, and my husband was gonna be one of those guys that could just do everything. So he was going to be a farmer, he was going to be a doctor, he was going to be a carpenter, he was going to be a plumber, he was going to be every single thing so that no one would ever have to come to our farm because he would just do it all. He would cook, he would clean, like, come on, this is like the dream guy right here. Uh, I'm starting to find out he doesn't actually exist, but that's okay. Um, neither does this dream life of mine because I was going to live on this farm, I was going to uh, have animals, I was going to have a garden, and I was just going to you know, live off the land, and life was just going to be so simple and peaceful, and, and it was going to be perfect. Everything that I needed was going to be right there in this, in this garden, in this farm, and that's all I ever needed. That's all I would want. I would just be completely happy with that. Uh, and then I grew up, and I realized <laughs> I hate the country. Um, I'm not a big fan of animals, and um, I really love prepackaged food. Anything that can go in the microwave is like my best friend. Uh, but just like thinking back to this dream life I had, thinking back to this idea of living on a farm in the country, it was just having this dream of a simple life. It was having this dream um, that was away from the city, which just represents kind of chaos and busyness, and it was just going to be to live peacefully. And when I think back, I kind of, I kind of miss that because although I'm, I'm such a city person now, I could never live outside the city because I just love the city so much, I, my soul still longs for that simple life. My soul still longs um, to live in a place where everything is just peaceful, where you're not consumed by the chaos, where you're not consumed by the busyness, where you just get to, to live with very few worries. And going through scripture, we find right in the first book of the Bible, it's the book of Genesis, this is exactly what God created us for. This idea of living in a place um, of, of peace, and living in this garden, is what our souls were created for. Um, and so we read about this garden. It's called the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, it was, it was paradise. It was the first location that was um, talked about in Scripture, where the first people were put, Adam and Eve are the first people, and so they were put in this garden, and God, he creates, he creates the world, he creates this garden, he creates people, and he looks at it all, and he's like, yeah, this is good. This is perfect. This is exactly what I wanted. But then, of course, people mess up, and Adam and Eve decided that they knew better than God, and so they were going to disobey God. Um, but it says this about their relationship after they disobey God in Genesis 3, um, starting in verse 8. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound 
of the Lord God who was coming to find them after they had disobeyed him. They heard the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? It's this idea of walking in the garden with God that I just love, I love the picture of. Like, you know, um, if you've lived with someone for a really long time, maybe your family or your spouse or uh, your siblings, you know the sound of their walk, right? Like when I was um, growing up and still living at home, I could tell who was approaching my door just by the way that they were walking. You know, like my dad would walk a little bit heavier. I could tell the sound. My mom would be um, a lot a lot swifter, a lot calmer, like hardly could hear it, so she could just like sneak up on you. Um, but you could just, you could recognize the sound of their walk. And this passage is talking about um, Jesus walking in the garden. They heard the sound of God walking. And if that's, uh, you know, God's physical presence as in human form or maybe just his spirit, like we don't actually know, but what we know from this passage when it says that they heard God walking in the garden, they heard God approaching, they recognized his voice, it tells us that they were so familiar with, with God walking. They were so familiar with the sound of God's walk. It was so tangible to them that they could recognize it. And as soon as they heard it, they knew it was God. This idea of God walking in the garden, it was something that could be felt. It was something that um, could be heard. It could be seen in a sense um, as they just had this place where they had full access to God. And this represents, this idea of the garden, it represents what our souls were created for. And from this, I've taken this idea of, of a secret place, the secret garden maybe, and it's this idea that we were created for this space where we get to just be in the full presence of our God. Yet, as we, as we read through Genesis, we find just in the third chapter of the book of the, the first book of the Bible that that humanity disobeyed God and the result of them disobeying God was that they were no longer able to be in the full presence of him they um, they were no longer able to walk with God in the garden because what happened was when they disobeyed God sin entered the world brokenness entered the world and it began to consume the garden it began um, to just take over and where brokenness and sin is humanity and God could not coexist and we continue reading in, um, in chapter 3 in Genesis, uh, chapter 3, verse 22, after Adam and Eve, the people, after they disobeyed God, um, God says this to them. He says, And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden, to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed to the east side of the garden cherubim and a fl flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This can kind of be confusing, but pretty much God was protecting humanity by making them leave the garden so they can no longer access um, this tree, this temptation that they had. Um, but as soon as they disobeyed, Humans and God could not coexist in the garden. They could not coexist in this secret place. And what happened was that humans, we, we traded this amazing garden, this amazing um, place that we could be in the presence of God, and we traded it and put God in a building. 
what happened was as we continue reading throughout the Bible, there's this guy named Moses. And Moses, he led God's, led God's people out of slavery in Egypt, and he was leading them towards the promised land. And um, in the time of Moses, God instructed him to build a tabernacle. And what a tabernacle was, it was like this traveling um, temple where they could pick up and they could take it wherever they went. And God decided that he was going to dwell in this place. And a part of the tabernacle, there was this room, and it was called the Holy of Holies, and it was separated from the rest of the temple with a really thick veil or a, a thick curtain. And the rule was that you could only enter into the Holy of Holies, the place where God was dwelling, the place where you could have full access to God only once a year. And that once a year, only one person was allowed to enter, the God, enter into the Holy of Holies, and that was the high priest. And the high priest, he had to... Um, be as blameless as a human could be. And for all of his sins, he had to have sacrifices, and he had to do all these rituals and um, do all these cleansings. And then once a year, he was able to enter into the presence of God. And later on, as we read through the Old Testament, uh, we see that they enter into the promised land. They build a city called Jerusalem, and they build a, a permanent temple. And in there, they have the, the Holy of Holies with a thick veil and curtain blocking where God was dwelling from humanity so that humanity couldn't enter into the full presence. And this veil, it's talked about being as thick as a hand. It was as thick as a hand and impossible to destroy. It was incredibly heavy. And so no one could just um, enter into it whenever they liked. It was, it was hard to get into. Um, and so there was this, this veil that was separating God from humanity. Um, but then... We're going to read this later about how the veil was destroyed. But the temple was also destroyed. The temple was destroyed in the first century. Um, and all that was left of the original temple was this place that's called the Western Wall, or you might have heard of it as the Wailing Wall. It's actually a place that we're going to visit um, in Israel 2020, and we're going to go and we're going to see what it's all about. Um, but basically, this Western Wall, it's believed that it is the closest place you can get to the Holy of Holies where God used to dwell. And so the Jewish people, they'll go to this wall. They'll go every single day. They'll go and they'll pray, believing that they just need to get as close as possible to, to the dwelling place of God. And where the temple actually was is now Muslim territory. And so the Jewish people, they aren't allowed in there. So they try to get as close as they can. Um, and they even they will write prayers on pieces of paper and they'll stick it into the cracks of the wall. And it's believed that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in the cracks of the wall. And so by putting their prayers in there, their prayers are going to be um, seen by the Holy Spirit and are going to be answered. This Western wall, it represents um, this restriction. It represents this confinement, this institution, where uh, you can try to get as close as you can to God. You can try to get as close as you can to the presence of God, as close as you can to the secret place, but you'll never actually reach it. And often I think what happens is that, you know, we come into a relationship with God. We're, we're in the garden. We're in there. But then we realize that we mess up, and it's like we are kicked out of the garden. Just like Adam and Eve, we are kicked out of the garden, and we live so much of our lives as if that's the end of the story, as if we can never enter into the presence of God again, as if we can never enter into, um, into prayer with him again, into a relationship with him again. But that's not the end of the story, and so let's continue. We're going to skip right through the Old Testament into the book of Matthew. And in the book of Matthew, it's a, one of the books that describes Jesus' life. It's called one of the Gospels. There's four of them. And so Jesus, he goes through his entire ministry, and it comes to the point where he is about to die. 
he's about to die and um, he's going to be executed because he's claiming that he's the son of God. And the Jewish leaders are saying that's blasphemy. No one can claim that they're God. And so they're going to kill him, not knowing that this is all a part of God's incredible plan uh, for humanity. So Jesus, he's sitting or he's hanging on the cross. And in Matthew 27, verse 45, it says, For three hours, beginning at noon, darkness came over the earth. And at three o'clock, Jesus shouted with a mighty voice in Aramaic, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you deserted me? Some who were standing near the cross misunderstood and said, he's calling for Elijah. One bystander ran and got a sponge and soaked it with sour wine, then put it on a stick and held it up for Jesus to drink. But the rest said, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to rescue him. Jesus passionately cried out, took his last breath, and gave up his spirit. At that moment, the veil of the Holy of Holies was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook violently, rocks were split apart, and graves were opened. At the very moment that Jesus died, at the very moment that Jesus was crucified, the very first thing that happened was that the veil that was separating God from humanity and humanity from God was split in two. It was absolutely destroyed, something that no human would have been able to do. It, it just happened because God was doing this incredible, miraculous act of opening up the garden so that his people could enter in again. He was giving us access to the garden again, this incredible gift that we never deserve to go back. Yet he wanted relationship with us so much. He loves us so much that all he wanted to do was, was invite us back in. But I find often in my own life, and I think a lot of us would agree, that you know, we've been given access back into the garden, back into the presence of God, back into this place where we can talk to God freely, where we can just have full access to him. Yet we are still hiding in our shame. We're like Adam and Eve in that we've, we've done so many wrong things and we think that we can't be in the presence of God anymore. And, uh, and so we go and we, we start hiding. And God is saying, he's saying, where are you? Where are you? Not because he, he doesn't know where you are, not because he can't see you or he doesn't know your location, but because he's so desperate to connect with you and all he wants you to do is say, here I am, I'm right here. But we've been giving this access and we're still acting as if we are like the Jewish people and we're standing at the wall. We're standing at the western wall where they're trying to get as close as they can to the presence of God without ever actually entering into it. And we stand at the wall and we think that God, somehow God's presence is confined to a temple. Somehow God's presence is stuck in this box and we're only able to talk to him in certain ways. Maybe we're only able to talk to him at church or talk to him when when we need something, when we're desperate, as if we need a formula or a strategy to actually pray. We act as if we can only really connect with God if we are doing right, if we are perfect. But 1 Corinthians six nineteen, it talks about um, the, the transfer of the temple and says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? So God, he goes from being confined to the temple, to the Holy of Holies, to now being in you. All you have to do is, is accept him. All you have to do is believe in him, and he will come and he will dwell in you so you can have permanent access to him. Yet we act as if God's presence is still confined in another temple. We also stand at the wall thinking that we have to be perfect to actually enter into the presence of God. 
Just like the high priest, they had to be as blameless as they could. They had to follow all of the laws. They had to go through all these rituals and routines to um, give sacrifices and to cleanse themselves. And we think that if we have any shame, any guilt, that that will keep us from entering into the presence of God because God must not want to look at that shame. Like how many of us, we, we do something that we know that God doesn't want us to do, but um, in a weak moment, we, we give into temptation, and then we're so guilty of it, we're so full of shame of it, that we just avoid God because we think that he doesn't want us. We think that he doesn't want to deal with us. And like Adam and Eve, we go and we hide in the bushes, yet God is saying, where are you? Where are you? This is not, this is not what I want for your life. It's like, um, there's so many differences between other religions and Christianity, and one of the differences that I've heard it put this way, that other religions often are, dang, I've messed up. I can never tell my dad. But then Christianity is like, dang, I messed up. I have to go tell my dad. I have to go tell my dad because my dad is going to make this right. My dad is going to forgive me. My dad is going to offer me grace. And that's what God wants. He wants us to enter into his presence, to stop standing at the wall, this lifeless while trying and striving to be good. He just wants us to come and bring all that we are, to bring all the brokenness we have, to bring all the shame and the guilt we have, and just be with him exactly as we are. So we stand at the wall and we're thinking that, you know, God is confined in a box. Or we stand at the wall thinking that God doesn't want to deal with us and our sin. And last of all, we stand at a wall irregularly. The, the high priests, they were only allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies once a year. Um, and this was um, a rule that was pl in place by God. Or by God. Um, and they had other connections with God throughout the entire year. Everyone um, could have other kinds of connections throughout the entire year. But this was the one time that it was actually, they were in the full divine presence of their creator. But it wasn't consistent. And I think this is a problem for a lot of us. This is a problem for me all the time, is that uh, we don't enter into God's presence. We don't pray. We don't have that just intentional time with God regularly. Because there's so many excuses, right? Excuses like, it's boring. I'm going to fall asleep. Like, how many times have I fallen asleep while praying to God? Uh, way too many to count. Or, you know, we're too busy. Or um, I don't know what I would say. I don't know how to pray. And we have kind of all of these excuses, but I think what it really is is it's a priority issue. And if I um, could call us out for a minute, if we don't have 10 minutes to, to take time to talk to God every day, is he really a priority in our lives? And I don't want this to make us feel guilty about it, but I want us to see the invitation that we have, that we have full access to enter into the garden, to enter into that place where where God is waiting for us to have relationship with him. We have full access for it, and he's inviting us in, yet we're too busy to talk with our creator. We're too busy to talk to the most powerful God in the world. We're too busy to talk to the one who's offered us so much love and grace, and all he wants is relationship with us. It's so interesting because we've been set free, yet we're acting as if we're still in bondage. We have been invited back into the garden, yet we're acting as if the gates are still closed and, and we can't enter in. But Jesus, he didn't want to leave us hanging with this, and so he demonstrated what it actually looked like to enter back into the garden, to um, have the Holy Spirit be dwelling in him, to have this active prayer life. He demonstrates this for us, and all throughout the Gospels, 
it talks about um, Jesus leaving his disciples or leaving the crowd, and he goes into different gardens to pray, or he goes up into the mountains to pray, or he goes into the wilderness to pray, and just to have this intentional, intimate time with God. And so if we go back just a chapter from what we read previously where Jesus is crucified, it was just a day or two earlier that Jesus, he had his last supper with his disciples. Um, And in Matthew 26, it talks about what happens next. It says this in verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is possible, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Then he came back. He again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. It's this beautiful image of Jesus coming to the Father, coming to God, and it's not polished. It's not institutionalized. It was a regular part of his routine, yet it was organic and it was fresh. And he was, he was blameless. He was fully God, yet fully human. And in his fully, um, full humanity, he comes with this incredibly raw emotion. And I think this is an image of how God wants us to pray, of how God wants us to enter into, enter into his presence. With just whatever we got going on, whatever we have in that moment, to just take it to God and say, you know, not my will be done, but, but yours. You know, one of the aspects that I kind of struggle with when it comes to prayer is this idea that prayer should be a formula or that there's a strategy for prayer. Um, there's so many sermons out there and books and blogs all about, you know, how to pray more effectively or how to access the power of God or um, you know, the three steps to, um, to praying well. And I think, I mean, these are really great books and, and messages, and we should definitely be encouraged by them. Um, there's this book called Sun Stand Still by Stephen Furtick. I'd recommend it to everyone. It's this incredible book, and it revolutionized the way that I see the power of God and the way that I, the way that I see prayer. But what I find with a lot of these um, kind of books that talk about, you know, effective prayers is that often we want to just get something from it. So it's this idea that, okay, I want God to do something in my life. I I want this one thing. And so I'm going to learn to pray more effectively so that he will answer my prayers, so that I can actually just get what I want. And we began to treat prayer as if, you know, God is our genie or he's our magic eight ball or um, that he's this vending machine that if we do it right, if we put in the right amount of coins, if, if we get the steps all in order, that, that we'll get what we want. And it entirely has taken the relational side out of prayer. But I want to suggest something that has absolutely changed my relationship with God and how I enter into the secret place, the secret garden of God's presence. And that is this idea that prayer isn't for God. This idea that 
we don't pray to inform God of something. We don't pray um, to tell God what we're feeling or what we want because he already knows all of it. Matthew 6, 8 says um, that God knows what we ask before we ask him. And that's not to say that we should never ask him anything. All throughout scripture, it talks about God wanting us to come to him, that he's this good father. and He wants to do incredible things for his children. It talks about this all throughout scripture. But we act often in prayer like, um, like if we pray earnestly enough, if we pray with the right words, with the right strategy, that will convince God to bend to our direction. As if there's something big enough in us to persuade the, the creator of the universe. But what if prayer isn't for God? What if it, prayer isn't to tell God what you're feeling or to ask him uh, for what you think you need or to beg him to change a situation? What if prayer is simply for you? What if prayer is only for you? And when we make known to God what we are feeling and what our heart desires, we might make known to ourselves that God is in charge. I want to say this again because I think it's super important. When we make known to God what we are feeling and what our heart desires, we make known to ourselves that God is in charge. Mother Teresa once said, prayer is not asking. Prayer is putting oneself in the hands of God. Prayer isn't asking. It's putting yourselves in the hands of God. It's making yourself available to God. You know, there's tons of different debates on uh, if we can change God's mind in prayer. And I have my own opinions about this, and if you want to talk about it after, I actually kind of like the subject, so um, I'd be happy to talk about it. But the more I think about it, the less I think it actually matters. Because it doesn't matter if my prayers change God's mind or not, um, or even if they change my situation or not. And yeah, there are situations that I want God to change, but, but I don't think that matters anymore. I think what matters is that prayer changes me. The more time that I spend with God, the more time that I spend in this personalized secret garden, the more that um, I'm concerned with how God is aligning my heart with his, and the more I'm concerned with him transforming um, the parts of me that are, are um, misaligned with his heart. You know, um, this past season of my life, I've been forced to depend on God, I think, more than ever before, just with so many different things going on. And I've had a lot of things to ask God about. Like, I wouldn't consider myself a needy person, but I am extremely high maintenance when it comes to my relationship with God. Like, he's probably just always looking at me like, you want something else? Seriously? Um, but he doesn't mind. I think he actually wants us to come to him with all of those things. But in this season that I've been asking God for so many different things, um, this verse kept coming back to me in Psalm 37. And it says, Delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And the very, um, the very human and messed up part of my mind is like, great. I'm going to um, work on my relationship with God. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to enter into the secret place more, and then God's going to give me everything I'm asking for. And, and this is so messed up because what it was doing was that I was praying to God with a clenched fist. I was praying to God being like, okay, God, this is what I want, and I'm not letting go of it. I'm going to pray for it until you answer it. But the more that I actually did it, the more that I actually prayed, my grip began to loosen, and everything that I was asking God for just came in an open palm. And it was there, and it's in the open palm, and there's lots of things still in this open palm. 
that, that I offer to God. And I say, God, you know, I want this, but my hand is open that you can take it from me or you can give it back to me. I think it's um, the idea of the posture of prayer has been coming into my mind a lot and how most of us, I think, if we grew up in the church, even if we, you didn't grow up in the church, we grew up with this idea that when we pray, we have to fold our, eye, fold our hands and close our eyes. And I think that's kind of a messed up way to pray. Because when you look throughout scripture, so much of when it's talking about praying or praising God, it's people that are doing it with their hands raised or their hands open. And I think this is exactly what Jesus was showing us when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he said, God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to die on the cross. But my hands are open and I'm going to pray, may your will be done. Would you align my heart with yours? Would you not necessarily transform the situation, but would you transform me? God loved us too much to answer Jesus' prayer and take the cup away from him. He loved you too much to answer Jesus' prayer because he has just this so much greater plan than we could ever imagine. So what if prayer wasn't to inform God or to beg God of anything or to change God's mind, but what if prayer was only to tr transform yourself? Is it worth it? Would you still, would you still pray? Would you still intentionally enter the garden? And this is my question for tonight. The question is, where is your garden? Where is that place where you can fully enter in to the presence of God? Where is your garden? Where was your garden today? Did you have a garden today? Did you enter into the garden today? Did you enter into the presence of God today? And I think, you know, like often we say you can pray anywhere. You can pray in the car. You can pray at work. You can pray um, while, you're, while you're running, while you're working out, while you're doing errands and all these things. And yes, that's 100% true. Um, we should be praying consistently and, and having that just a part of our daily routine. But have you entered into the garden where it's just you and God, where there's no distractions, where um, you're not, you know, multitasking, but where you're just in the presence of God. For me, I have a chair in my room kind of, um, kind of like this one, and, and for me, this, this is my garden. I have a plant, this plant, that's right by my chair at home, and I've just created my own garden where every morning I, I sit in this chair and I enter into the presence of God. And I'm not perfect and it, I miss too many days, but I've tried to make it just um, a priority in my life to have these garden moments, to have these intentional prayer moments. And it's in this chair in my bedroom that, that looks down over the street below that I am give thanks to God. It's where I just adore God. It's in this chair that I complain to God, and then I ask for forgiveness for all my complaints. Um, it's in this chair that I advocate for the people in my life that are just so desperate for God to be, to be moving. Um, it's in this prayer that I, or in this chair that I just pour out all my emotions to God, and then sometimes I slide off the chair and onto the floor and I'm just on my knees with my hands open wide saying, God, I, I need you. I need you to 
to do something in my life. So where is your garden? Is your garden maybe a chair like this one in your house? Is your garden a path that you walk every day? Is your garden a a desk, a table? I, I don't know, but do you have one? Do you have a place where every day you are entering into the presence of God because that is a gift? That is a free gift that we have been given. And so I want to challenge us this week, and I want to challenge us. um, And you can just totally write off this challenge, and that's cool. I wouldn't know either way. But um, I want to challenge us to actually find our garden, actually find the place that every day we are going to make a habit of entering into God's presence. For me, I've had the chair in my room for five years, and it's in that chair that that so many prayers have been answered. But when I look back, it's actually very few times that God answered the prayer how I asked him to answer it, and more often, he just transformed me. He just entirely changed my life. And I think he can do that for every one of us. So I challenge you, find your chair, find your garden, maybe um, place a plant right by it, grab a plant from around your house or steal a plant from your grandma or something, but put a plant by it and, and just create your own garden, create your own space where where you can just be in God's presence because he wants nothing more than to be in relationship with you. And maybe you've never entered into a relationship with God. Maybe this is all new to you and you're like, Jesus who? Like, what is this all about? And I want to say that, um, you know, sometimes we make it super complex, like following God is a super hard thing. And I'm gonna, it's not easy, but also it's so simple in that Jesus just calls us to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and to just follow after him, to start building that relationship with him, to start praying, to start reading scripture, to start listening to God's voice, to start worshiping. And these are all things that we're going to talk about in this series over the next um, three weeks after this week. Um, But if you want more um, information, if you have questions about it, if you just want to talk to someone, if you have questions about who God is and what this relationship with God is like, I would love to talk to you. We have an entire prayer team, and they would love to talk to you. Um, Or maybe you're here tonight, and you just feel this heavy burden, this heavy burden of shame, this heavy burden of not being good enough, or this heavy burden of something going on in your life. We believe so strongly that we need to gather together in prayer, just as much as we need to have prayer on our own and as a personal thing, we also can come together. And so the prayer team is going to be at the back during this last song. And if you would like someone to pray with you, um, I encourage you to, to use them. They're incredible people that um, all they want to do is talk to God. They love just entering into his presence and entering into his garden and, and bringing people with, with them. Um, so if you need prayer for anything tonight, I encourage you to go to the back of the auditorium during this last song and they would love to pray for you. But right now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray all together and then we're going to worship. But would you stand with me and let's just posture ourselves um, to pray in this moment. Maybe that is um, holding your hands out. I don't know. If you're not comfortable with it, that's totally fine. But, um, but have the posture of just accepting what God wants to give you. Have the posture of whatever you're holding on to. Open your clenched fist and just release it to him. So let me pray for you, God. I thank you for this community. I thank you for everyone here who um, has said, no, I don't want to live this life just standing at a wall trying to get close to you but never actually entering into your presence. 
God, I think that we're a people that want to enter into your presence, and I know that it's hard, but God, I pray that you would give us um, the strength to do so. It's a free invitation, so God, even as we go into this week, would you help us find our garden? Help us find our chair. Help us find that place that we can just intentionally enter into your presence, and God, would you show up there? Would you make yourself known to us? Would you transform our lives? God, for anyone who is here tonight just needing a little bit of your power, that's needing a little bit of um, your transformational power, God, I pray that you would just flood them with it, that we would not leave this place tonight the same that we walked in just burdened and broken, but that we would leave just feeling a little bit lighter because we have had an encounter with you. We love you, Lord, and we, we say may your will be done in this community. May heaven come to earth. May may that line that separates us from you just just totally disappear as we just fully enter into your presence. We love you, Lord. Amen. We're going to worship right now, and this is just another way that we can enter into the presence of God, and I would just challenge you to lean in, press in. Um, If you're comfortable with it, have open hands and just receive everything that God wants to give you tonight.